<laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's going on, everybody? It's Therese Paler, your chief beat writer for the Kansas City Star. And I'm back in the mix in the KC Star podcast studio on the ones and twos, rocking this thing. And hey, I know I haven't been on here in a while, but I'm back with plenty of interviews, uh, a lot of Chiefs information, a lot going on. Not gonna mess around. Not gonna spend a whole lot of time messing around here. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get back to what we do best, which is giving you the news. Thanks for joining me again, man. Um, free agency just came to a close. It was a busy week, um, <laughs> crazy week. But I think all in all, it was a good week for the Chiefs, man. I think they took care of business in a big way. They brought back Tom Bahali. They brought back Derek Johnson, and bringing back Derek was the most important thing, in my opinion. Um, they signed Mitchell Swartz, who's a really good right tackle. Uh, they brought back Jay Howard. I mean, that's a win. Even with the announcement of the enforcement of the, of the tamper in charge with losing a pick, and we'll get to that later. But even with that, that's a win. Like, everything they've done, everything they did last week was uh, was very good. Very good. And the, the most important thing I want you guys to realize, dude, is that the players that they brought back are, like, well thought of, man. Like, these dudes are respected around the league. So as you guys know, I went to the Combine about a month ago, and I talked to a bunch of people there, a lot of esteemed uh, people in the media uh, that, that that know what these guys are about. And I'm going to play some of those interviews for you today. Uh, Lewis Riddick uh, talked about Derek Johnson, um, also talked about uh, Eric Berry, uh, had uh, LaCharles Bentley talking about Jeff Allen, who left, but I still think that's pretty interesting, so we're going to play that for you. Um, had all kinds of stuff, man. Uh, some of the Seahawks guys talking about Jay Howard, uh, Bill Polian on Barry and DJ. Uh, you know, just all kinds of stuff, man. So, yeah, this is a jam-packed one for you. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Uh, hopefully you always do, but I think this is going to be a good one. And uh, I say we just jump into this thing, man. There's no time to mess around. Uh, the first guy I want to cover is Derek Johnson. Uh, Johnson is the most – he was the key. Had over 100 tackles last year. Is the key to second-level defense. I mean, if you talk to the young players, he's revered on the team. You know, this is the guy that, that – yeah, the, the run defense got a lot better when he came back, and it was no coincidence. I mean uh, – Missed all of 2014, and teams are running the ball up to gut on them. You can't win in the NFL when teams can do that to you. And this year, it changed a lot because Johnson, hey, superb instincts, knows how to make plays on the backside, really, really good player, uh, and he's a leader. And one thing I want you guys to remember about Johnson, too, about that leadership part, you know, aside from Eric Berry, Justin Houston and Tom Harley are looked at as leaders of that defense. But when it came down to that playoff time, and only one other guy other than Barry was getting a C on their chest. It was Johnson who got it over Houston, who speaks to the team before every game, and Hali, who's been here 11 years. So, like, don't underestimate how important it was to bring Derek Johnson back. That dude is loved and respected. Um, and you're going to find that out here and just uh, how much he means. So, uh, first interview we're going to play here is with Lewis Riddick on Derek Johnson. All right, let's, uh, let's get into it. I wanted to also ask you about Jared Johnson. Mm -hmm. I don't the, the run defense went from 28th last year without him to eighth this year. Right. And he's a 33 year old inside linebacker. And yeah. I know old inside linebackers don't get paid, but right. for a guy who's been a chief his whole career, who looked 
uh, you tell me. What did you see out of him? Yeah, Derek has his strong points. You know, I, I, I would have to say this. I, I don't. I didn't zero in on Derek this year in such a way that I could give you the kind of analysis that I typically would. Mm -hmm. But I'll say this again: when you're talking about the signal caller positions, those are the positions that you will make age allowances for. Okay. Whether it be safety and middle linebacker in particular. So when I was with the Browns, we brought in Pepper Johnson, who was at the very end of his career. Pepper wasn't the same guy he was in New York. Right. But the the wisdom and the experience at that position really exceeds a lot of the things that physically they can't do anymore. That's very, very, very important. And you can't you can never underestimate that. And so with a guy like Derek, especially if he's a good influence on the rest of the younger guys, if he can still play and not get your ass burned, you find a way to try and value him and keep him. Do you think somebody like Jay Howard who's coming off a career year? All right. So Interesting stuff by Lewis, and he got into more detail on another guy, specifically Sean Smith. Make sure you guys hang on um, and, and continue listening, because when I play you what he said about Sean Smith, you guys are is really interesting. You just wait. But uh, about Derek, a couple things he mentioned. Yeah, Pepper Johnson. Uh, now Pepper was an was an old school inside linebacker, played for the Giants in the '80s, and the Browns signed him in the early '90s, like you mentioned. And he was 29 years old. Okay, but here's the thing, man. Like. Inside linebackers do have value, and like like Lewis said, it's okay to make age allowances for an inside linebacker that brings as much to your defense as Derek does. Deal is only three years, twenty one million. Solid deal for Derek, but it's very affordable. So and, uh, I, I really want you guys to understand this is a really good move. And honestly, the Chiefs could have done almost, just in my opinion, the Chiefs could have done almost anything this offseason. Um, if they could have let almost any of these guys walk, and I would have understood, except for Johnson. That's the one guy that they. I don't think there's any defense for losing. He wanted to be here. He loves being a Chief. He's still a really good player. He made the Pro Bowl. He means everything to you, the second level of your defense. Like he had to come back. You know, there was there was really really no doubt about that. The next interview I'm gonna play you about Derek Johnson is uh with Bill Polian. And again, this was done at the combine before he resigned, but. I like giving you guys a real good idea of the technical aspects of the football decision-making of team building, right? So I was trying to probe Polian a little bit, and those of you who don't know, Polian's a Hall of Fame general manager. Like, this dude made the Hall of Fame as a general manager. He built the early 90s Bills. He built the Peyton Manning Coast. Like, this this is a dude. And Bill's an older guy now, but he's still real sharp. So when he talks football, you'd be smart to listen. But anyway, I was trying to probe him a little bit just to get an idea for – the, the different dynamics that need to go into the decision-making process when deciding to pay an order an inside linebacker, which the Chiefs have just done. Uh, check it out. I, I think it's pretty interesting. You'll learn a little bit about football here. Kind of in a similar vein, you have Derek Johnson, 33-year-old inside linebacker, had the Achilles, had a great season, though. Uh, what are the different factors you have to consider when trying to decide whether or not, yeah, you, you're going to pay the older inside linebacker? Well, number one, remember that Father Time's undefeated. Number two, you, yeah. you have access to actuarial tables that tell you when players at certain positions begin to decline. Mm -hmm. Number three, if it's your player, you have access to his medical data. So, medical and, and, and conditioning and all that stuff. So, you, you factor all of that in, and then you try, if you really want the player, try to craft a contract that makes sense for you and for the player. 
remember that dead money is always a factor. It comes with free agency. Mm -hmm. You have the words free agency over here, mm -hmm. you have the words dead money over here. People try to make a big deal out of, oh, you have so much dead money. Dead money comes with free agency. Guys don't complete their contracts. So the, the question then is, with this player at this age, with, in this condition, how much dead money are we going to have as opposed to what it's going to cost us to, to get it? Okay. Now, here's the thing. I mean, it's a very reasonable deal. And yeah, there'll be a little dead money down the road, but for right now, you know, bringing this guy back was so important just for the short term. I mean, there's a window here, right? And, you know, uh, with Jamal Charles turning 30 this year, I believe, and Alex Smith at 32, 33, uh, Tom Bahali's not getting any younger. I mean, Derek Johnson's going to turn 34 this year. The window's now. The window's absolutely now. So I, I can't give the Derek Johnson signing um, a higher thumbs up. I thought that was uh, crucial. Um, I thought it was important, and uh, Chiefs fans, I think you should be glad that they went ahead and did that. Next guy I'd like to talk to, and, and we, we'll get to Jay Howard in a minute, but I want to get to Eric Berry. Um, Chiefs could have saved a little money on the cap by getting something done before free agency with him because they, they slapped a $10.8 million franchise tender on him, which counts against the cap, so he counts for $10.8 million. That's a lot. Had they just extended him, the first year cap hit would have been like half that, and that gives you more money to 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 do stuff. But that doesn't matter. Like I, Eric Berry is a guy that they had to retain. Okay, they they just had to look. Look, you know people and people have been critical about Eric in the past, and I've understood that. And you know I've even like written some of that criticism before, just from uh, Lewis Riddick or whatever. Like I remember a couple years ago, I interviewed Lewis Riddick. He said that Eric Berry was a box safety. And at the time, it looked like Lewis was right because Eric wasn't moving as well as he had been in previous years. He bulked up so much. You know, Eric's about six feet tall, but, I mean, he might have been playing about 215, a little heavier than that. I mean, he was, he was really yoked up in 2013. Like, he was yoked up, dude. Just trust me. But this year, he was really moving a lot faster, man. He was, he was flying around. He looked like the old Eric Berry again. And I thought, you know, that Eric Berry is the guy that, yeah, I mean, that's the guy that you got no qualms paying, especially because he means so much to this team. I mean, guys, I was in that room. I was in that locker room. Not a lot. I mean, but, you know, I'm not a player, so I'm not in the room a, a ton. But, like, I'm in there a lot. I'm in there three times a week, four times a week. I know what that dude does mean, you know, to those guys. Um, he was an emotional leader for this team. Him coming back, fast-tracking the cancer recovery. Can, nobody can say anything to him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no one can question. If Eric Berry's calling you out, like, you got to listen because that dude fast-tracked cancer recovery to get back to football on time. Like, that gave him so much gravitas in that room. You know, it's crazy. And, I mean, that's the thing with Eric, man. Like, he was a he served as kind of a rallying figure for this team, and he's only 27. Uh, he got back to being the fast hit, run and hit player that he was earlier in his career. Like, that's a guy that's definitely worth paying. That's a guy that they, that they, you know, that they've locked up here uh, with the franchise tender. Now, at some point, I do think they'll get a long-term deal done. I mean, Eric wants to be here. He's boys with Justin Houston. Um, Chiefs want him here. Chiefs need him here. He's one of the faces of the franchise. You know, they're competing for dollars and this town with the Royals and stuff. I mean, Eric Berry's the team. He is 
You know, I, I've been using a word, the phrase team icon a lot, and I've been giving it to Derek Johnson and Tom Lee, but I mean, Eric Berry's pretty close to that now. I mean, Jamal Charles is in that too, but like, I mean, Eric Berry's pretty close to that too, you know what I mean? And um, that's not a guy that they could afford to let go away, let let leave. Now, I mean, there's still a far out scenario where he wouldn't return if somebody, because they, they slapped a non-exclusive tender on him. If somebody really wanted Eric Berry, they could pay him a ton of money, offer him a contract the Chiefs wouldn't match, and the Chiefs would get two first round picks. Uh, but I do think, I, a no one's used that in like ten years, so like no one's been willing to you know just concede two first round picks in a long time. So it's probably it's really unlikely. Uh, and b like if that did happen and the Chiefs didn't match, I think you guys will kind of understand. Like two first round picks is that's a that's a bounty, you know. And but but again, it's not gonna happen, guys. Justin Houston was twenty six last year when he got the non the non-exclusive tender, and no one offered him. He was a 26-year-old pass rusher who was a half sack away from the NFL single-season record. He even no, no one signed him either. So it's probably unlikely. Eric Berry's going to be a chief, and that's a good thing. And I, I think some of the interviews I did at the Combine about people with Eric, uh, about Eric Berry show you kind of why. Uh, I got Bill Polian on him. I also got uh, Louis Riddick on him too. So let's go ahead and crank that thing on out, man. Uh, Let's go with uh, Polian first this time, though. This is uh, Bill Polian with his thoughts on Eric Berry and, you know, what the Chiefs need to consider when uh, making a decision whether or not to pay him. Eric Berry, I think, had a pretty nice year after such a difficult situation. I was just curious from a from a team doing a standpoint, like do you do you consider that he had to overcome cancer? I mean, just I'm just curious for your thoughts on the situation. Here's this great safety that's coming off a nice year and overcame cancer, like and he's a fan favorite. Does he almost do you, if you're the team, does you almost have to bring him back? Well, you don't have to bring back anybody. It's only the free agency is about money. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Fans need to understand that. And Rather than speak about him specifically, let me speak generically. A general manager and a head coach look at the situation and they say, how many players on this team do we have who make plays on their own, who can change the game because of their ability, because of their intensity, because of their football IQ? If Usually those guys have all three, by the way. if you have one of those guys, there's no question that if at all possible, if humanly possible, you want to keep him. And that includes using the franchise tag if you have to use it. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly okay to use it. Uh, in fact, some agents force you to use it yeah. because they want it as a floor for the negotiations. It's, mm-hmm. it's, that's, it's false, but they nonetheless want it as a bargaining chip. So um, that's how you look at it. And then and you say to yourself, if the player is that guy, if he's a game changer, then he's worth the money. The, the other parts of it, whether it be human interest or fan interest or whatever, um, play a very small role. And ultimately, you have to get under the salary cap and you've got to construct a team that within the constraints of the salary cap. So that sounds hard-hearted, but, I mean, that that's, those are the cold, hard facts. Kind of in a similar... 
All right, so that's good stuff from Bill. And the reason I wanted to play that first is because I just wanted to establish what you look for when trying to decide whether to pay a guy. And now I'm going to give you Lewis Riddick, who's going to tell you why Barry is worth that. Check it out. All right, so Lewis, thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple of years ago we talked about Eric Barry, and like one of the things you pointed out that a few people had said, but you knew was that he got – he, he was heavy. He was yeah. a big, strong, yeah. top-heavy guy. But this year, he's lost a little bit. A little bit. He, and he seemed to be playing faster. Just what did you see from him? Though? Yeah, I, I think you saw, because of what he was dealing with from a health perspective, he wound up trimming his body down and started to look more like he did when he came out of Tennessee when he was really one of the best defensive backs you've seen coming in this league in a long time because of the fact that he could play corner, nickel, either safety position. Mm-hmm. And I think it's there's a natural tendency for players when they come in the league to, one, just mature automatically because your body gets bigger, you're lifting better, you're eating better in college. You don't have as much money and access to stuff like you do in the pros mm-hmm. when it's your full-time job. So people get bigger. Everything becomes about being bigger, stronger, faster, bigger, stronger, faster. Well, stronger and faster is good. Bigger is not always good, right. especially when you're talking about DBs. And Eric just got, got wound too tight. And a lot of the things that made him one of the most coveted DBs ever – he, he lost it. Now he got him back, and now this year you saw it. And people down there told me he looks like he did when he came out of Tennessee. He knows it. We know it. And, it, you know, it, it kind of results in him having one of the best years of his career, which is awesome. And Just one one thing I'll say here um, is that, yeah, <laughs> if, if you know, people hear uh, that what he just said is interesting because if people are telling him here that, they know he's worth it. Like Eric Berry's going to be here. And I just want to point that out to you guys. Um, <laughs> if people here know what he's worth, like it's going to happen. Okay. So just try not to worry too much about it. it. I think it will really take something out of the ordinary to happen for Eric Berry not to end up here. Let's, let's play the rest of this thing. When it comes to a team building perspective, here's this guy that's a leader in that role. He's universally respected. He's loved by the fans. He's only 26. Mm-hmm. Is that a sl- not to farm Andy's land, but is that, as, as Bill would say. Yeah. But is yeah. that, I mean, is that one of those things where it's like you almost have to bring him back as an organization? Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. what? It, you, you'd have to find reasons not to that okay. probably wouldn't be very genuine. <laughs> okay. All right. Let me just yeah. put it that way. You have to take care of the middle of your football team, the signal callers. When you have a guy who's special like that, when you're talking about the safeties, the middle linebackers, centers, quarterbacks, Guys who get up in front of the team and talk. Guys who are talking to the team automatically in the huddle, in the cl- in the classroom like Eric does. And he's young, and he's productive, and he's a good player. you got to find reasons not to sign him. Unless, unless the market dictates that you just can't swing it financially. Yeah, you, you'd, be, you'd be playing with fire to go ahead and mess with the chemistry of your football team like that. Because that sends a message to other players. Man, like if Eric Barry can't get his money, then who can? And, you know? And, like, it's safe to say if he were to ever hit the open market, there, there's a need for a box safety like that that can run and hit and cover. Yeah, right? and, but you know what? Again, I, I wouldn't call him a box safety. Okay. I, I will just say oh. this. You're, you're talking about now, you're talking about a multi-dimensional safety that can do whatever you want. You know, he, he's not. Lewis Riddick just said he would not call Eric Berry a box safety. That's high praise, man, because a few years ago he said he was, and that shows how much better he's gotten. You know, Eric's really improved this year, and, you know, I think he's a guy that's going to be key for him going forward. 
And another key thing to remember what he just said, it sends a message too, because if Eric Berry can't get his money, who can, right? <laughs> I mean, who are we kidding? Like, you got to pay the guy, right? You, like, this is a dude that needs to get paid. So um, let's keep it moving, man. We're going to keep trucking along here. Uh, one guy that the Chiefs managed to bring back was Jay Howard. Two years, $12 million deal. Um, I think there were some projections that Jay was going to get more than that, and I understood that he had a really nice year. But, you know, it was really one good year of great production. And teams are pretty – teams can be cautious. So, you know, for them maybe it was like, all right, come show us the next two years and we'll pay you. Um, and Jay's got a chance to do it. I mean, if he plays well the next two years, he'll hit free agency again at 29 and probably get a bigger deal. Plus the thing that really hurt him is that he came out this year uh, as a free agent, and this year's draft is absolutely loaded with interior defensive linemen. I mean, there's so many good ones. And, uh, you know, a lot of teams could just use that and say, you know, why would we spend all this money on this guy when we can take somebody in the second or third round that would have been a first-round pick a year ago. So bad timing for Jay, but this money is still good for him. I mean, $12 million, who's turning their noses up at that? I mean, that's going to provide for his family, which I know was important. And most importantly for the Chiefs, it keeps their interior defensive line together. Jay, Dontari Poe, Allen Bailey, those guys are really close friends. They all sit next to each other in the locker room. Every time I go in there, I see them there talking and yucking. Those those guys are like really close friends, man. It's actually cool to see that kind of bond on a football team, you know. And it's actually cool to know that all three of those guys would be back because, again, they're close. And, you know, football can be a mean, like tough game and nasty, but – there, there are some very human moments in it, too, and um, a lot of times, you know, uh, their friendship kind of reflects that. I mean, every Friday, the defensive linemen kind of led by Howard and those guys, they feed the whole team. Like uh, like you see uh, on Fridays, like the entire locker room smells like, you know, soul food or whatever they bring in. It could be chicken wings or uh, all kinds of stuff. And uh, they all, the whole team ventures over to the D-line side of the room to go get some. And it's just a cool thing that they do. So, it, yeah, I mean, it's cool to see that the Chiefs bring this dude back. But more importantly, like, as a football player, he's pretty good. You know, he's pretty good. Good. I talked to uh, Greg Cosell about him. Uh, Cosell likes uh, – Cosell does like Jay Howard. Um, he thinks he's a good football player. And um, you know, I also talked to John Snyder and Pete Carroll, or at least I asked him questions about Jay. Uh, just, you know, because he – you know, remember Jay was with the Seahawks, and they cut him before 2013 after using a fourth-round pick on him the year before. Chiefs picked him up, developed him, and now uh, – Chiefs pain, Chiefs gain, and Seahawks gain, uh, pain. So, uh, yeah, let's 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 get into this thing about Jay Howard, man. She's um, the kind of player you're getting back. I think you guys will like it. Yeah, first we'll go with uh, John Snyder. Hey, this is the Seahawks general manager, by the way. How's it going? Good. Hey, John, what's Good. what's impressed you about Jay Howard since he left Seattle? Oh man, uh, maturity. Jay, we, we were really excited about Jay when we drafted him. He jumped off the ball. Real active, great guy, and I think um, you know having children and and uh, you know just he was in a tough spot on our team competing for a spot and uh, you know John Dorsey picked him up, like a couple other players, Ron Parker. We'll get into that later. Um, but uh, no, he's done a real good job. He's just so active and he, and, he, and, he's, and he's played hard and he's done a really nice job for himself. But you guys got one of their guys and Kelsey McCray too, though. That worked out okay for you, didn't? Yeah, Kelsey came in, did a great job for us. Uh, was really positioned in the need at the time, and he did he did a really nice job. He's a great Chiefs. Uh, 
I'm going to add the part of McCray at the end because Chiefs traded McCray for a fifth-round pick, which is actually going to be pretty helpful this year because it looks like they're going to lose that third-round pick due to the tampering stuff. Uh, but, again, we can get into that just a little bit later, and we'll touch on that. But, yeah, here's uh, Pete Carroll on Jay Howard, too. That's a Seahawks coach. Another pretty interesting comment. Sounds like they they know uh, they might have made a mistake by letting him go. A few years ago, you guys had Jay Howard. kind of thrived with the Chiefs. He had a nice season this year. I was curious, you know, as a defensive coach, what did you see from him when you got drafted him and had him? And maybe what kind of growth have you seen in him since then? Yeah, it, it, that's really a guy that got away from us, you know, because he's come on so strong. Um, we liked his – he was, had good speed, moved well. Um, we had some background. Some of our guys had coached him and come up, so we, we thought we had a good deal for him. Um, and, he, you know, he did fine for us. Uh, we just, you know, we lost track of it, and, and he got away from us, and he went on and, and really did a great job for KC. And, and uh, we've watched him ever since. It's one of those ones that get away, you know, and so we, we, we regret that. But uh, really thrilled for him. He did a great job, and, and, and now he's, as a free agent, he's one of the top guys in free agency, and he's going uh, to be able to cash in because of that. So please for him. You mentioned getting Yep, yep. And Cosell had really nice words to say. Now, Greg Cosell's a analyst for NFL Films. I mean, he he gets to all 22, and he, he looks at it all. I mean, this guy's a respected film analyst. And, uh, you know, he's pretty pretty on, on point about what Jay, what kind of player Jay Howard is. So, you know, let's go ahead and play that. Hey, Greg, you do I – mean, you watch all kinds of films. I mean, this is what you do, man. Your specialist act. What is your impression of Jay Howard? Yeah. This is a guy that's going to probably be an unrestricted free agent. He has a chance to make some money. Would it be yeah. worth it? Jay Howard's a very overlooked guy on this defense and has been, I think, for a number of years just because of the other players they have. You know, I think that he can play multiple positions. Obviously, in their base 3 4, he played the end because they had Don Terry Poe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they went to their their sub packages, he often lined up as a D tackle. I think he has that kind of multi-dimensional ability. Um, you know, I wouldn't say he's necessarily the same kind of pass rusher as a Malik Jackson, but I think he can be used in a similar fashion, where you can line him up inside in a nickel or a dime, and I think he can. I think he does have pass rush ability, but I think he's he's a really good player who can fit in a three-four and a four-three. And he's a, he's a guy that they used as a as a as a nose tackle. Yep. Lined up off the edge of the nose. Yep. And also as a three-tech as well. Yeah. That's pretty good so, flexibility. I right? mean, he's played as a one technique. He's yep. played as a three technique. He's played at a five technique. Yeah, that's. No, I mean those guys, and he's played all well. Right. So. You know, those guys, there's not a lot of those guys. Now, they may not be seen as big, big money guys because he's not going to be a 15 or 17 sack guy, but I think he's a real important piece. You know, we saw with Denver, you know, what happens. Obviously, Ware and Miller get all the the accolades, but Jackson and Derek Wolf inside when they're in their sub packages are such critical pieces to their defense. Sure, sure. And yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, Jay's got a fan in Greg Cosell, man. And uh, Chiefs did a good job keeping them in town, man. Um, keep the quarter defense together by bringing back these guys and Tom Bahali. And uh, really the only guy they, they missed was Sean Smith, and we'll get to him now. Um, Sean, of course, went to Oakland, signed a uh, a deal with the Raiders, uh, four years, $40 million. And uh, he was pretty happy to go back to California uh, you, you guys got to understand, man, like this is a business and, uh, you know, that, uh, 
that that was I'm told that was more than the Chiefs offered. At the end of the day, I know they made a strong push, but at the end of the day, I mean, Oakland's offer just trumped them. So that happens, man. That happens in this thing. And uh, fortunately for the Chiefs, there's more than a few cornerbacks in this draft that they can get that can help them. There's is a good cornerback draft, but you know, uh, I, I think yeah, I did some interviews about Jeff Allen and Sean Smith at the combine as well, and yeah, I, I like to give you an idea what the Chiefs are going to lose with these guys gone too. So. Um, if you're not interested in that, that's fine. Just skip ahead to the end. But if you do want to know kind of what kind of players these are, just keep on listening. We'll start with Sean Smith. Um, I think uh, Bucky Brooks, who's a former cornerback now, NFL draft analyst for NFL Network, uh, had a pretty interesting comment to start this thing off about Sean Smith and what he means and what kind of player he is. So let's just go ahead and uh, crank that out. Here's Sean Smith. Here's Bucky Brooks on Sean Smith, who left for the Raiders. I think Sean Smith is a very, very solid player. Um, I think he's probably nearing the end of his prime. I think he's in the middle of it right now. What you have to determine is how much do we want to pay for what he brings to the table and could I get similar value from someone that's in the draft. And so that's the big thing that you have to make if you're decision-making in Kansas City. I think the thing with him, though, is that he's going to look at Byron Maxwell's contract and think, maybe I deserve that. Like, what is your opinion? Like, how, how, well, I mean, do, how do their skills match up? Well, I mean, players always believe that they deserve top dollar, and <laughs> rightfully so, he should go get it. In terms of he and Byron Maxwell, I think it's unique. Like, Byron Maxwell played very, very well. Sean has also played well. I think the big thing for both of those guys is not just the money, but it's the scheme fit. Do they go to defenses that allow them to play to their strengths? Can they lock up and play bump and run coverage? Can they do some of the things? Are they supplemented and complemented by the pass rush that allows them to not have to cover all day? Those things matter. We saw with Byron Maxwell. When you don't have all the pieces around you like the Legion of Boom, you don't play like the same player. So you just got to make sure it's the right fit. Only two more questions. Do you remember Steven Nelson from last year from Oregon State? I remember him a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and play the rest of this interview. I asked him about Steven Nelson, who's the Chiefs third-round pick from uh, Oregon State. And last year, didn't play a lot, but it's probably going to be counting on to play a lot this year. And also asked him about uh, some corners in his draft. So, yeah, let's go ahead and play this out, man. Yes. Just if you can go back there, and if you can't, that's fine. Just tell me. But he didn't play much for the Chiefs, but they invested a third-round pick in him. What, what did you see out of him? Like, you know, just tell me your opinion on this kid and what maybe you could expect more from Highly competitive guy, a guy that was feisting and uh, got after in all the situations. I want to say he was at the Senior Bowl, saw him at the All-Star game, saw him compete. The big thing is when you're trying to make that transition, you're a third-round pick, you're trying to be a starter, you have to be consistent in how you play on the edge. Technique-wise, understanding your assignments, making sure that you're always accountable and dependable. The big thing that he has to show the coach is that he's trustworthy, that they can put him out there and ask him to do certain assignments, and he doesn't mess it up. The one thing Steven told us is that it's different going from out there on the boundary, which is where he played, to the nickel. And they want him to learn how to play nickel. How, how different is it having to understand a two-way go? Like you kind of got to process things, correct? Like is that Can that be a change for you? Can that be a big jump? Oh, it's a huge jump. A lot of people like to label nickel guys and say, oh, we're just going to throw the short guy in at nickel. <clears throat> but to me, my experience, your best cornerback needs to play nickel because the challenges of playing inside are unique. 
you have two-way goals from the wide receiver they can go inside and outside uh, you're dealing with a different set of spacing because you can break in the option routes being able to play with leverage and also as the nickel you're counted on to be a factor in the run game you're basically the substitute linebacker so when people run at you you have to be tough enough to make tackles in the run you have to have a unique skill set to be able to have success on the inside. This is my last question. This is I, I love your podcast with you and Dan DJ. So this is right up your alley. Hey man, late first round corners. Do you see any that could be a good fit for what the Chiefs do? That could, if Sean Smith walks, could be a good fit next to him on the outside. Oh, I mean there are a ton of guys at the at the bottom of the first round. Uh, Kendall Fuller from Virginia Tech is a guy that plays uh, bump and run coverage. He's used to it. A lot of people will be down on him because he was hurt his final season at Virginia Tech. But he absolutely can play. It's the family business. He has legacy in the league. So he understands what it takes to be a good pro. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander from Clemson is also a guy that played extensively mm. bump and run coverage. A little shorter than you like. He may be 5'10". Is he tall enough to do some of the things that John Dorsey and those guys prefer? And then Eli Apple. Eli Apple, to me, is probably a better zone corner because I don't think he's going to run as fast as some of those other guys. Talented players. So if I'm the Chiefs and I'm looking for a corner, if I elect to let Sean Smith walk, I feel good about someone that can come in and replace him. Good stuff from Bucky there. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to kind of look ahead since Sean is gone, and that's why I played that. But I also want you guys to understand, like, hey, this guy was a pretty good player, um, and he will be missed. I know – Marcus Peters loving him, and uh, you know he he was liked in that locker room too, man. He was a loved to play, really enjoyed playing, really a competitive guy. Had a lot, of, seemed to have a lot of fun out there. Um, and he'll be missed. He'll be missed by his teammates, but that's how this business goes. And uh, you know, uh, I, I thought Lewis Riddick had some interesting thoughts on some of the things Sean brought to the table and his struggle with consistency. I thought I thought Sean got a lot better as far as being consistent the last two years. Um, but, you know, Lewis wants to see him be more consistent going forward, you know, uh, even with the Raiders. And uh, he has some pretty interesting thoughts about Sean. You know, he likes him as a player, just wants to see him be more consistent. So here we go. We're going to go ahead and play that for you now. It's time for him to get paid. I think he's trying to go sure. find some money. Uh, just as sure. a player, what do you see in him? I mean, he's a big corner now. Yeah. He turns 29 next year. But yeah. what they, what, is he a wise – like, what do you like out of him? What do you see? You know, Sean's always been an enigma to me because he's so talented. He should be even better than he is. Mm. And he will have those games where he is, where you see a big physical guy who looks like, you know, he's the Xavier Rhodes type of guy, 6'4", 220 pounds, who can just really ruin your game right at the line of scrimmage and everything else from there just falls apart. Or he can get sloppy with his technique, doesn't always play with the right kind of competitiveness that you want, gives up on routes, um, sloppy with leverage, not playing to the integrity of the defense, and you're going, well, what's that all about? When this is the play before, he looked perfect. Those kind of up-and-down players are hard to value, okay? Especially when you're bringing them in from another team now. Now, you don't have a history with him, and you're paying him money. Right. Let's just say you pay above market, and you pay him and bring him into your team, and he has that kind of history. What is his impetus to give you the consistent level of play when he's just gotten paid? Those are the kind of things that you worry about in free agency. If it's one of your own players and you know what you're dealing with, it's different. But Sean is supremely talented. It's never been an issue with that. With most guys, when you're talking about guys like this that we talk about, mm -hmm. it never really is about talent. Yeah. It's about, it's a, consistency is an overused word, but it's the truth. 
Those are the teams that win championships. Those are the players that go to the Hall of Fame because they're consistent. And Sean has that kind of talent. He's just never been able to dial it in all the time. Do you think he's been more consistent since he's in his years with the Chiefs? Because, I mean, has there been like yeah. a jump from 2013 to, I guess, last year? Yeah, and I, this year too? I would say that. I would say you've seen a gradual progression. It's still, you see, what, what you're talking about here, though, he plays a premium position that now you're going to be talking about some serious money that maybe an open market is going to be yeah. thrown his way. Yeah. You expect a certain standard when you're talking about that kind of money. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm a fan of his, without a doubt. I remember we brought him to Philadelphia in the top 30 visit when I was working there. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. he's a guy who, I mean, I was a big DB in my day, and I used to look up. To, I was like, God, this is a corner. <laughs> he's a giant he's guy. He's a big guy. Yeah. Big guy. Uh, All right. So Louis Riddick on Sean Smith. Strong stuff. He's right, though. He has got – he did get better the last two years. I thought Sean was great. The last two seasons, somebody watched every one of his games. He's an underrated player. He's really underrated. Um, his technique was something he got better with the last two years. I, I thought he took a big jump from 2013 to 2014. And, um, yeah, he, he he became a lot better. Um, and, look, he's, he's going to be a good player for Oakland. Like, there's no getting around that. The Raiders are going to be a problem going forward. They got Bruce Irvin. They got Khalil Mack coming off the edges. They got a good corner in Sean. Um, they're still a little weak at inside linebacker, I believe, but uh, you know they're they're not that far away from being a real problem. The quarterback's pretty good. Cooper's good. I mean, they got some guys. Also, melee the guard they just signed. This is a good team, man. They're gonna be a problem going forward. Uh, all right, last guy we're gonna talk about here is uh, Jeff Allen. Signed a uh, four-year deal with the Texans, worth twenty-eight million, I believe, and uh, he's a good player. There's no getting around it. Like, this dude's a good player. His loss is going to be curbed a little bit by the signing of Mitchell Schwartz. So, Schwartz can play right tackle. Now they can reduce Jay Howard inside. and Sorry, excuse me, Ja Reed inside. Ja Reed started at right tackle last year. But uh, yeah, he's he's a good guard. He played a little guard last year in the regular season. He, he looked pretty good <laughs> in the playoffs, too. I mean, he, I, think this, I think they're going to be okay there. Uh, but you are losing a good football player, and I got some pretty good stuff on him from uh, various people. So, uh, I think first we'll do uh, Greg Cosell on Je Jeff Allen. And uh, let's go ahead and do that now. What about Jeff Allen? Yeah. What, do you, what do you like about Jeff Allen is an odd guy because he's kind of a bad-bodied guy who moves better than his body would suggest. You know, and I think because of that, he can fit in his own scheme. I think he can fit in a gap scheme. I think you can use him as a puller in a gap scheme. You know, I think he can do both, and I think he's, he's effective at both. He just is the kind of guy, you know, when you look at him, you don't, you know, he's, he's not that guy. Is, is he similar to Rodney Hudson in that way? or? Well, Rodney was just short. Okay. I mean, you okay. know, Rodney just, right. you know. So, but, but, you know, I think Jeff Allen, and again, offensive guard is not a position a lot of people spend a lot of time talking about, but, you know, you need guards, and you need good guards, and I think he's a, he's a quality guard. If you sign him, I think, like I said, you can run a multiple run game, and you'd be set for the length of his contract. He'd be a solid guard for you. Yeah, he's right about that, man. That dude is, uh, Jeff Allen's a good football player. Texans got a good football player, but... Again, I do think the Chiefs are positioned to handle that. Could use some reinforcements, sure, but, you know, um, hey, man, this dude's a good player, um, and they're going to they're gonna miss it. But, I, I mean, let's think of the options there. You got Zach Fulton, 
who's probably better at center and should be there in case Mitch Morse has problems getting over his concussions. And I'm not saying he is. I'm saying I don't know. Yeah, two last year. He's a good reserve center. Just leave him there. Um, even though I've been, a, I've campaigned a little bit to move Morse to guard, but I, I'm all for playing your five best guys. So if that's what ends up being it, that's the case. But whatever. Um, I think uh, Laurent Duvernay Tardif is in the mix. He's got to get more consistent with his technique. Very gifted though, big guy can remove a little bit. Good physical traits. Uh, ja Reed again should be a starter for sure at at guard. Uh, I mean they, they've got options there. They've They've got guys they can go to. Maybe they sign on somebody else, but you know, uh, being able to reduce Ja Reed to guard is important and critical. So, uh, yeah, the last one here. Uh, I talked to Latrell Bentley about Jeff Allen too. Now, Latrell is a former Pro Bowl center who now runs an O line training academy in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, Latrell is awesome, man. He knows football, loves football, knows offensive line play, um, and. Uh, Knows Jeff Allen. Jeff Allen went to train with him for a while, a couple of years ago. So if anybody knows what Jeff Allen brings to the table, it's LaCharles. So here's the last one we, of the day we got for you here. Uh, here's LaCharles Bentley on Jeff Allen. Thank you again for taking the time, LaCharles. I think we all kind of realize that you specialize in offensive line performance. And I'd like to ask you about a couple offensive linemen the Chiefs have for sure. First one's Jeff Allen. He's about to be a free agent. Uh, you know, he worked out with you. Yes. I mean, you know what this guy is as yes. a player. But what did you think of the way he performed this year? Because when he returned to the lineup, these guys went 11 and 1. I think the first before we start talking performance, I think the biggest thing with Jeff is he's a tremendous person. Um, I think that needs to be acknowledged. I just don't believe that at this point in the league anymore, guys can be dirtbags and, uh, you know, end up being highly successful people and players. So off the top, one-of-a-kind type of person. Uh, secondly, as a player, I feel that whomever gets Jeff Allen is probably going to end up with one of the most underrated offensive linemen in the National Football League. Uh, as a player, he's everything that you want. There's nothing that he can't do. With that being said, he may not aesthetically be what you're looking for, but when you start talking about performance, there isn't many, there aren't many players at guard in the league that can do the things that he can do consistently. Let's dive into that. Like what, what are some of the things that Jeff does well that we really don't see from other linemen? I think biggest thing with Jeff is consistency. That's number one. That's the first thing that pops off on the screen. He's physical. Then secondly, he's not just a big physical guy that's, that's uh, out of control. He plays through his technique. He stays in constant demeanor. And he's the type of guy that's going to always allow himself to be consistent as possible. And that's the hallmark of any good offensive lineman is consistency. And anybody can go out and be big and strong for a couple of plays. But to be able to do it back to back to back, that's when you know you got something pretty unique. And that's what allows Jeff to be, in my opinion, one of the better guards in the NFL at this point in time. I know, you know, People may not see him as that, but I would challenge anyone to find me 10 yards better than him. And, and, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I, I'm curious, like, how much growth have you seen in him since 2013 mm -hmm. to 2015? Like, what are the areas that you saw the growth in him? I think with him it's just been confidence. You know, you're <laughs> – I'm not going to pick on Jeff and tease him about, uh, you know, playing ball at Illinois. But uh, <laughs> what I will say, I think he's just grown and the, the – 
the biggest detriment to his career, but it's probably been the biggest influence in his performance at this point, is the fact he has moved around. He's been asked to be a guard. He's been asked to be a tackle. So he's done things to add to, to, add to the versatility of his career, and I think that's helped him. But it also has hurt him. Now, when you work with him, you got a chance to see what this guy is mm -hmm. as, a, as a worker, mm -hmm. as, a, as a person. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the benefit of your account. Mm -hmm. And I believe he spent was it, two, three weeks, was it a month? It was, Eight weeks. Yeah, it was a long time. Mm -hmm. um, when did you realize, hey, man, Jeff Allen's a dude that I, I'd have on my line? Because you're a former son. Correct. When did you realize, hey, I'd have Jeff Allen next to me. I'd well, be all right with that. I think the biggest thing was before he even got to me, I knew what he was, uh, studying film and just watching him. And I don't just let anybody into the facility. So <laughs> with that said, <laughs> uh, yeah, huh? he was the guy that I really wanted to work with because I knew he had something very unique about him. And barring the injuries and the things that set his career back a little bit, I, I just, I really, he's the type of guy that, you know, from on this side of the fence, you root for because I know how hard it is to garner respect in this game. Once you get it, you got it. And he hasn't quite gotten to that point where it's a consensus, where he's looked at as, hey, this is a very good football player. But Jeff Allen, people are sleeping on this guy. He's a good football player. I don't have a dog in a, I don't really, I don't have a dog in a fight. Like, it just, uh, it is what it is. And, you know, as I said, you find me 10 guards that are better players. I'm not talking about what people say on Twitter. I'm not talking about, you know, what some, some guy has. I'm talking about, you put the film on, and we sit down with league executives. You find me 10 guards better than Jeff Allen, I think you'll struggle. Strong stuff there from the Charles about Jeff Allen, who's now Houston Texan, but um, look, the Chiefs are going to miss him, man, but again, I think they'll be okay. Um, they got a draft. They got a first, second round pick they can address it with. They got, you know, they got guys. They they like to draft mid to late round linemen and develop them. They believe in their ability to coach them up. So maybe and maybe they sign somebody in free agency too. Like maybe that happens. Maybe there's a maybe there's a you know a uh, maybe there's a a guy that they find a, a, a proven veteran. You know, a veteran on a one or two year deal that they can sign. It gives them a little bit of uh, insurance. Uh, also, they still got Paul Fanaga too for now. So I think. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz, obviously, I'm sure you guys want to hear something about him. I'm going to work on I'd like to do a podcast about Mitchell because that's a huge, yeah, huge addition. Very, very good right tackle, like really good. And you need that in today's NFL, especially in the AFC West, where you got Vaughn Miller, you got Melvin Ingram, you got, uh, well, not just in Houston because he's a chief, but Khalil Mack. All those guys are coming from the right side, dude. So both your tackles better be up to snuff. You know what I mean? No messing around there. And, uh, Chiefs have a pretty good pair of tackles right now. Presumably, Fish keeps getting better, and Schwartz is already really good. I mean, Schwartz took a big jump up from year three, year four. So, uh, you know, that that's a big signing, and that's worth a podcast on its own. We'll get to that down the road here, but I just wanted to get on the board here since I hadn't seen you guys in a month. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hit my music, by the way. Uh, <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed it. Remember to rate and review us on iTunes at SportsBKC. Remember, it just helps us. Um, and thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Uh, you know I appreciate it. You know we appreciate it. Continue to go to KansasCity.com for all your Chiefs news. All right, for uh, Sam, Blair, Vahe, Chris, Jeff, rest of the A-team, man, I'm Therese. See you guys next time. Peace.